0: And our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, but but as as we're turning there, just one thing to highlight as well. Uh, one of the joys about Christ Community is the, the investment in in next generational leaders. And one of the ways we do that is through our residency program, which you may be familiar with. We, we bring on staff, uh, a pastor from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and we, we have them for two years. It's not an internship, so if you use that word, just strike it from your vocabulary. But but we do love and, and appreciate uh, the joy of having Jonathan Neef as our pastoral resident uh, here at the Olathe Campus. If you have not met Jonathan, your, your life is sad and dark, and you need to, you need to meet him. He's a, he's a wonderful guy. I really do encourage you to, to meet Jonathan, say hi to him, and, and he uh, will be bringing God's word to us this morning. And so, so hear the word of the Lord from, from Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46. It is Mary's song of praise, also known as the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, it is an honor to be here. It's, a, it's an honor to be a resident and to learn um, in a safe environment. Thank you for being that, most of you, a safe environment. Thank you. Uh, It's also a little bit interesting because, you know, you get opportunities to to preach and uh, Reed and Nathan decided this would be one of my opportunities. They said, would you like to preach? And I said, well, do I have an option? And they're like, no, you're preaching. Oh, okay. Well, then I'd love to preach, right? You kind of wonder, so with vainglory and humility, do they think I'm humble or vainglorious or, you know, maybe not? I don't know. You you start to worry a little bit, but hopefully, maybe they just didn't want to preach it. I don't know. Here we are. You're stuck with me this morning. Um, But while I was studying and looking about this passage, I found some interesting thing on uh, on the New York Times an article. And it's entitled "Don't Let Facebook Waste Your Life." I think we've got a, a slide of it up here. It's an interesting picture. You know, there's the Facebook picture and look at thing. And there's okay, well yeah, I won't I won't go into details. But the article cl- tells us something that most of us probably already know: that the lives we portray on Facebook or on social media to others are not always the lives that we live. And there's a disparity between who we are and who we want people to think that we are. The author explains how he compares Google search data, so what you, what you type in when you're alone, you don't think anyone else is gonna know what you're typing, and versus what we post, where everyone's gonna see it and what everyone will know about. And he finds there is a very stark contrast. So let's, let's give a few examples of this. Um, first of all, the Atlantic. It's it's a thoughtful, journalistic magazine, maybe not very well-known. Or you also have the National Enquirer, a sensational tabloid which sells three times as many copies per year as the Atlantic. Yet if you look at Facebook, the Atlantic is 45 times more likely to be posted, retweeted, liked, given a thumbs up than the National Enquirer. Why? Because we want to portray a certain image to those around us about what we read, right? Right? Or maybe another one, uh, music that we listen to. So according to Google searches, men and women, and and according to Spotify, men and women appreciate the same types of music artists. Um, Katy Perry happens to be number number 10, most listened to on Spotify. Yet if you look on Facebook, on men, they're not going to list what might be perceived as more feminine artists. They tend to list more masculine artists like Kanye West or Kendrick Lamar or Bob Marley. And I mean, let's be honest. If you look at my Facebook and you see that I like Taylor Swift and Celine Dion, you're not going to listen to me preach, right? So, yeah. But the author of the article says that our misery, the reason he says Facebook makes us miserable, our misery is due to the glaring difference between what we feel we have to portray and being on versus who we really are. And uh, he says, alone with a screen and anonymous, people tell Google things they don't reveal to social media. They even tell Google things they don't think anybody else will see. Google offers a digital truth serum. The words we type are the more are the most honest and are the pictures more honest than the pictures we present on Facebook or Instagram or other social media. He says the lives we live and we present to the world are different than the lives we live on our own. So maybe one final example on if you check social media, top five things that women say about their husbands, right? This should be good. My, my husband is the best. My best friend. Amazing. The greatest. So cute. Whew, okay, We did all right, husbands. Well done. But on Google, some of the top ones include, my husband is a jerk. My husband is annoying. My husband is mean. I'm not sure what that's saying about us husbands, but okay. Um, the author compiled this data into a book called Everybody Lies, and he offered this little self-help mantra that says, don't compare insides to other people's outsides, except he modifies it and says, don't compare your Google searches with other people's Facebook posts. Right? So this misery comes from us feeling like we need to be like what we see on social media, but having a different life. And this obviously goes back to what Nathan has shared with us um, previously about envy and comparison and how that is a horrible vice. But this also begs the question that maybe we can be asking of, Why the disparity between the Google searches and the social media posts? And in her best-selling book, Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age, Sherry Turkle offers an explanation, or shares a concern. She says, social media, instead of promoting the value of authenticity, it encourages performance. Instead of teaching the reward of vulnerability, it suggests that you put your best face, put on your best face. And instead of learning how to listen, you learn what goes into an effective broadcast. So why do we strive so desperately to present ourselves so well on social media? Why do we all feel the need to perform constantly? Why do we want the approval and the applause of others? Um, Both of these authors are pointing to something that, again, I think we all know, but that as human beings, we desperately want to be noticed we want to be loved. We want to be approved of. We want to be valued, right? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really necessarily see that. Maybe it's easiest to see in children, right? I mean, I think I might have been this kid. But how many of you have seen those kids that are just screaming and clamoring for attention? Hey, Dad, look at me. Look at this. Hey, look, watch. Why do that? Hey, 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 Dad, right? They're just, they're clamoring for that attention. They want it so desperately. And uh, we, we also see it in... Uh, See it in ourselves. I think that while it's easy to see in kids, we see it in ourselves as well. For for instance, how many of us have credit card debt simply because we're trying to keep up with the latest fashion? Uh, the quote from there's a quote from the movie Fight Club which says, "We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like." Right? It's kind of true. How many of us spend hours constructing our lives on social media and making sure that ourselves are presented as perfect? Or how many of us are driven at school to perform and achieve good grades, or driven at work so that, we, so that our boss approves of us? I mean, honestly, I just got through seminary, and as a people pleaser, I see how this totally fits and it totally works, sadly. Uh, this goes on and on because we're always striving to be perceived a certain way as busy, We're constantly running around, but maybe your question is, are you tired? Do you ever get tired of performing for applause constantly and from an audience where enough is never enough? The sad truth that these authors are revealing to us is that finding our approval through social media or other means is leaving us feeling miserable. It's leaving us feeling empty. So, this raises one final question I'd like for us to ask this morning. Whose applause are we seeking? Whose applause are we seeking? I'm going to suggest that this morning's vice of vainglory will help us discover the answer. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to learn about ourselves, or we thank you for your word, which doesn't leave us where we are, but which continues to pull out and show us vices in our life and reveal to us virtue. Lord, I pray that we would have soft hearts, that we would be humble and that we would learn. Lord, I pray that these would be your words and not my own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know we're in the middle of a sermon series and that we're studying vices and virtues. Uh, It's kind of like spending time looking at WebMD for the soul we start to notice that the more you learn about these vices and virtues, the more you realize the symptoms you have in your own soul. So vices are these disordered loves, which lead to destruction and alienation. Virtues are intentional habits that build Christ-like character. Maybe you could ask, so are we more concerned with looking good or with actually being good? Do you want to become the right person Or do you want to project the right image? Or whose applause are you living for? So in order to answer the question of whose applause you're living for, we're going to look at three things. The vice of vainglory, the virtue of humility, and the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Let's start with the vice of vainglory. Living for applause. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to look at a passage, and this is early on in the church, and there's a lot of poor and needy people, and so people are selling their property, bringing the proceeds of selling the property, and bringing it to the church, and that's where we're going to pick up reading. Acts 5, starting in verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out to be buried. Again, in this story, we have people selling their possessions and giving to the poor. And this is a good thing, right? The poor are being helped. People are being, having their needs met through generosity. These are things are being performed for some applause. And God is receiving much of that applause because his church is doing what the church is supposed to do. But Ananias and Sapphira notice the applause going on. And they decide they want all of the applause without all of the generosity, they're living for the applause of the people around them. They are living in the vice that we're calling vain glory. And it literally kills them. I mean, talk about a deadly, deadly vice, right? So in simple terms, what is vain glory? Vain glory is the desperate desire to look good to others. The desperate desire to look good to others. The desire for the applause and the esteem of those around us. Vanity, a word that we don't use very much anymore. Vain literally means empty. This is empty glory. And like all the vices, the root of vainglory is found in pride. But there is a difference we'd like to highlight. Pride actually wants to be better than others, whereas vainglory wants to appear better than others. Pride actually wants to be better than others. Vainglory only wants to appear better than others. So vainglory could be born out of arrogance when we actually think we are better than others, but vainglory can also be born out of insecurity, that others will discover we are not all we appear to be or all we try to appear to be. Vainglory lives for the approval and the applause of others. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they were living for the approval and applause of the church around them, and their vainglory turned into hypocrisy, and it cost them their lives. Now, to some degree, all of us participate in vainglory because all of us want others to think well of us, right? I mean, I want you to like my sermon, and some of you out there are probably trying to sit in such a way that makes me think you like paying attention to my sermon, though I can tell a few of you are sleeping, so maybe not. Well, maybe praying. I'm sorry. Praying for me. I appreciate it. But the truth is, we're all vain. In fact, you're so vain. You probably think this sermon's about you. You're so vain. All right. <clears throat> Hopefully you caught that, uh, that reference. But if not, sorry for my singing. <laughs> but, but seriously, one of the problems with vain glory is that we, we all are vain. And that the other problem is it stems from something good. Glory is good. And God actually created us for glory. In fact, we are created to be God's image bearers. When people see us act in virtue, and they should marvel at the beauty of what God created in us. The problem with vainglory is not the applause we seek, but who we seek the applause from and who we seek the applause for. Rather than living for the applause of God, we end up living for the applause of others. So whose applause are you living for? Spend some time thinking about it this week. Maybe you could think of it this way: whose approval matters the most to me? Or perhaps you could think of it this way: whose criticism or disapproval hurts the most? Are you living for the applause of your children, for your of your parents, your boss at work, your friends at school, uh, the cool group of kids at school, or the cool group of guys at the office? Your spouse, your boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, your pastor. Who are you trying to please? We will never escape the vice of vainglory until we begin living before the right audience. And that audience is an audience of one. But once we learn to live before an audience of one, that's when we begin to pursue and to grow in the virtue of humility. The virtue of humility is displaying the glory of another. We read this morning that perhaps one of the best examples of humility can be found in the earthly mother of Jesus and Mary. Um, in this text, Mary's just been told that she's going to give birth to Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, God who became man. Like, what an honor, honestly. How amazing, right? Can you think of a greater privilege among women than what Mary is being bestowed? And yet, how does Mary respond? She says, My soul magnifies the Lord the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior mary is to play one of the, the most important roles in the grand story that god is telling in scripture and yet she doesn't become prideful she doesn't seek the applause of those around her she doesn't boast in her position she doesn't say look at me rather than seeking her own empty and vain glory she turns all the glory back to its source my soul magnifies the lord My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of my servant. She acknowledges that in and of herself, she is nothing special. And then she glories and turns the glory to God. Mary exemplifies true humility by pointing toward God as the one who should ultimately receive the glory. But don't think that she doesn't realize how people will view her. She knows what people are going to say. She realizes she is on a stage. But she also realizes she is not the star, her main attraction of that play. Look at verses 48 and 49. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For who he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary knew that this would bring her glory. This would bring her fame and recognition. Again, she knew that she was on a stage, but she still directed her glory to the Lord. So whose applause are you living for? Mary was living for an audience of one. This is the example of humility, which we must also pursue, but it's difficult. Maybe of all the vices and virtues, this one is one of the hardest to grow in because as we get better at being humble, it's also more tempting to turn toward the vice of vainglory. I mean, think about it. I remember when I was a kid and I won the humility award. I didn't actually win it. But I won the humility award and I went, what was I supposed to tell my parents? Hey, I won the humility award, right? Like it just kind of, uh, what do you do with that? It's, it's natural that as we grow in wanting to honor God alone and receive glory and perform for an audience of one, the, the more tempting we become in wanting others to notice it and tell us, good job, way to become more humble. You see the problem? Okay. Rather than me rambling, let's look at C.S. Lewis, and capture this, who captures this struggle perfectly in his book, The Screwtape Letters. This is a conversation which is occurring between two demons as they strategize on how to get their patient, who's a new Christian, to stumble in his faith. Your patient has become humble? Have you drawn his attention to that fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I think I'm being humble, right? And almost immediately pride, pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt. And so on through as many stages as you please. I think you see the difficulty here. (laughs) But if the way to fighting vainglory is humility, and humility is difficult to grow in because it feeds vainglory, then what are we supposed to do? Glad you asked. This brings us to the third point, the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Jesus tells us exactly what to do. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Did you look at what the hypocrites and the vainglorious people are doing? Did you look at what Ananias and Sapphira were doing? Sound the trumpets! They're seeking awards and applause from the wrong audience. Jesus says that the work we can do can be good work, but if the motivation for the reward and for the applause is from the wrong audience and it doesn't matter. It's vain, it's empty. In order to help us have our attention on the right audience, Jesus tells us to do our good works in secret. But wait a minute, if I do the good works in secret, well, no one will know about it and I'm not gonna receive any applause for it. Exactly, that's the point. Because even if no one on earth knows what we did, God still knows. And he is the audience of one. He is the audience we should be seeking applause from. He is the one whose rewards we should should pursue. I think Jesus' teaching shows us that there are three things of this discipline that secrecy helps us with. Secrecy helps us with audience. Jesus says, Beware of doing things for the wrong reason to be seen by others. The discipline of secrecy helps us to pursue becoming good and not just looking good by keeping the right audience in mind, our audience of one, which is God. When we are engaged in the discipline of secrecy, we remove the temptation to to perform for an audience of many from the crowd's approval and from the opinion of others. It's gone. In secrecy, there are no other human beings to notice what you're doing or to applaud us. Stop and think if this would change your life. If you lived your life to perform for an audience of God and not for those around you, would it change the ways you behave? Would you live any differently? Second, applause. Jesus gives the example of charitable giving, but done in such a way that it draws attention to the giver so they should be praised by others. Right? That's the vice of vainglory that often attaches itself to things like generosity because it wants to be seen. The discipline of secrecy helps keep us from basking in applause or approval from others because our attention is focused on the applause of God. Third, award. The Jesus says the vice of vainglory brings us reward, but vainglory's reward is short-lived and it's fleeting. It's empty. It's vain. On the other hand, the spiritual discipline of secrecy brings reward that comes from God himself, a reward that is long-lasting, immeasurable, and it has joy and real satisfaction. It's not that seeking rewards is intrinsically bad or it is perilous to our souls and to others around us as when we seek rewards with the wrong motive or in the wrong way. That is how the spiritual discipline of secrecy confronts the vice of vainglory that entices us. It helps us to seek the, the right audience, the right approval and the right awards. And here's the beautiful thing. When we pause, when we slow down for a moment, God already loves you. God has already seen you the way you are, not being able to perform, and he looks at you and says, I love you. We don't have to perform to earn his love. His grace is sufficient for us. In her book, Glittering Vices, the one we keep talking about during this sermon series, Rebecca DeYoung writes this, vainglory is a cheap, substitute for true fulfillment of the human desire to be profoundly known by another person, to be known by name for who one truly is, and to be loved just that way. God promises to fulfill the deep desire to be known, to be acknowledged, and to be accepted with unconditional love. Before we make any effort to bolster approval ratings for ourselves, God has already freely given us what we need. So, with this in mind, this this new idea of practicing humility through secrecy, I would love to give us two tangible ways of how we might be able to practice secrecy. The first comes with silence. The discipline of silence is exactly what it sounds like abstaining from talking. It may mean taking a silent retreat and not talking to anyone. Now, some of you can't wait for your, or you're hoping that your spouse or somebody in your community group is listening to this, uh, right? They want you want them to practice it. But, but seriously, the discipline of silence could also look like choosing to not talk about yourself. Don't try to earn someone's approval or applause when you're t- in a conversation with them. Rather than giving them a story where you have something that's bigger and better or where you've done something great, ask them questions. Ask how, about them. Don't seek the opportunity for yourself Just listen. Or maybe your silence looks like taking a break from social media. What would it look like for you to make no posts on social media for a day? Or for a week? Or for a month? I know what you're thinking. But wait a minute, my friends would be angry at me and people wouldn't know what's going on in my life. And exactly, that's the point. Would you be willing to give this a try? Because silence frees us from this broadcast mentality that I have to perform and I have to put myself out there and people have to think I'm amazing, right? So the second way that we can do this after silence is solitude. Solitude works because it deprives us of the audience that we're trying to gain. When we're alone, by ourselves, not posting, not tweeting, not talking, not performing, we deprive ourselves of the audience that vainglory must have in order to survive. Rebecca DeYoung observes, without an audience, you don't have to work at getting attention from anyone. No performance is needed. No one is watching, so you can just be yourself. If all you have become is a performer, an actor anticipating, reacting to what your audience demands, the emptiness of the self will quickly be exposed in solitude. Maybe this week, instead of joining the rat race of trying to prove yourself and receive applause from all these different audiences, maybe you can embrace slowing down and humility. You could practice this through, the, through secrecy, and maybe silence and solitude can help. I challenge you to pick one of these things this week and to try it for a day. See how it goes. Maybe it seems daunting right now, but I promise you that giving up a life of self Glorification and vainglory is really to take up a life of freedom. And this freedom is found only because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus was full of glory and no vanity was a part of it. And yet he came down from heaven, he came to earth, he lived a life, he died for our sins, he died for our brokenness, he died for our vanity. And he rose again from, our sin, from, the, from the dead to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer these vices that we're working on. Jesus is the one who loves us, who sees us as we are, who looks and sees your brokenness, who sees you as you are right now and says, I love you. I love you despite the performance. I challenge you this week to look for your applause from an audience of one. Let's see if we can do that together. Let's pray. Father, I confess my own struggle to live before an audience of one. Lord, I'm constantly motivated by those around me and what they're going to think. Lord, I pray that the disciplines that you present in your word of humility and of secrecy, silence and solitude. Lord, I pray that those will become habits in my life. Lord, I pray for us here in the audience today, those who are listening. Lord, I, I pray that there would be no condemnation, but rather there would be conviction and that they would realize of your love for us. You see us as we are. You love us. We don't have to perform. We don't have to earn anything else. Lord, I pray that that love might transform the way we live, the way we think about ourselves, the way we try and love others, and the way we love you. Lord, I pray that this week going forward, we would we would grow in our ability to live before you as our audience of one. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, it was a joy to, to be with you this morning to worship with you. And if you're yeah, if you're like me, you feel the the, the sting and the pinch of this vice that enslaves me, that en, that entraps me. It's it's my desire for recognition and praise and the approval of others that that I long for so much, and yet when it comes, it's like, this, this is empty, this is hollow, this is not worth it. It's because we were designed and created to find the approval of God alone, which by his grace through Christ we can achieve. And so, um, so as, as we think about what it means to live in light of this vice, Our benediction comes from Philippians chapter 2 as Paul anchors this mindset of, of, of humility in the person, the work of Christ Jesus. So hear these words and may they mark us as we leave this place. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. May this mindset that is in Christ be ours as well. Go in peace. Have a God-glorifying week. Amen.